Amen. Amen. That was, man, I love to hear. You know, I love to turn the radio on and listen to scriptures and listen. Oh, not scriptures. I like to listen to preaching too, but I like to, I like to jam out some days to some praise and worship. And, um, you know, I even, I'm a youth pastor, so I got to know all the new cool stuff. So, you know, I got to go into all that stuff. A lot of it, I'm getting too old. I just turned 38 not long ago, and I realize I'm, I'm getting a little old. Um, so I can't quite... Uh, I can't quite enjoy some of the concerts and stuff like I used to. Um, I still go, but I'm still I'm still just a big kid at heart. So, um, but man, be able to sing just to get in in church and just to sing, I, man, that's awesome, awesome song. And you know, I, I know people think, well, you're crazy if that's your hope is in a cross. And I'm like, no, you're crazy if you don't know the man who's on the cross. Um, Psalms chapter 22. Um, you know, the title of the message today is going to be, you know, I, had to keep, I, I rewrote it about five times, you know, but it's despised and devoured only to be declared. And this chapter, uh, you know, I, I, think any, I think almost every preacher preaches, you know, when they're in that scripture, that's their, one of their favorite chapters. But I would say this one about Psalms 22. I, I remember reading this years ago. Uh, when I was trying to just study some of the Old Testament stuff, you know, I, I, when you're a younger Christian, you kind of start off with the New Testament, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, that's great. Get in there and learn what Jesus said. You know, if you live your life by what Jesus said, you're good. Yeah. But if you want to dig in and understand exactly what he was saying and why he was saying it, uh, dig in the Old Testament, and man, it just it just points to Jesus. Every time now I read Old, Old, Old Testament scripture, I'm like, man, that's talking about Jesus. Like, this guy didn't even know what he's talking about. You know, this is one of my favorite chapters um, because it points, it paints a picture of this coming Messiah. This one that we celebrate as Jesus Christ. But to the Jewish people, this was this is a this is a, a, a clear picture to the Messiah. Um, and you know, like I said, the, I like all Psalms really because you know it has some great nuggets in there, as I call it. it has you know, the book of poems and songs and. You know, you can read uh, one about praising God for his creation in the next chapter. Uh, it's kind of like a roller coaster. Sometimes you're reading it. Uh, you can go through, you know, it's, you can read about going through trials and hardships and feeling like nobody's helping, nobody's there to help you, and then seeking refuge in God. Uh, and then the next one could be a glimpse into the future. You know, we're, we're actually trying to, in the youth group, trying to walk through Psalms, and it's going to take me about 12 years. I think I'm on, I got 23 last night. That's been at least four months almost, so. We're going to get there. It's just taking a while. That's some good stuff. Like I told him, I said, some of these chapters kind of run together, so we may skip one or two, but, you know, we're going to walk through it. And uh, I'm glad to be able to look back in the Old Testament and say, hey, look, this, this is what it says. You know, this was a Hebrew word that was used here, and this is why we believe this scripture may be talking about Jesus. You know, actually, we, that's what we proclaim. It's talking about Jesus, about the Messiah to come. You know, this chapter, though, should be cherished by Bible-believing Christians. Anyone that studies the Old Testament, they're looking, you know, looking for prophecies that Jesus claims to fulfill, will come across this one. You know, we all know about being born in Bethlehem and being born of the Virgin and all that, but this chapter, if you want to really study it, and, you know, I'm going to go over it today, but, you know, if you haven't really got to read and study it, man, go home and read it. It's good. Um, you know, so possibly around a thousand years or so before Jesus is born, this book was written. You know, we don't know the exact dates. Uh, all scholars try to study, and we try to date it, but we know it's around around a thousand years, give or take a little bit. But you know, it, it was a long time before Jesus was even born. 
you know, skeptics say all kinds of things. I talked about this uh, with the youth, and, you know, I'm like, you know, it's good to know the Scripture of God, and it's good to know and break it down. It's also good to, you know, hear people's arguments on why it's not talking about Jesus, I think, in a way. To me, it just kind of helps help strengthens my faith. Now, if you're not very strong in the faith, then you can be confused. So I always say try to make sure you, 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 you go to it as, you know, hold on, let me, let me check this because I don't always believe what I read. I know Facebook is, you know, they got the, the, uh, <laughs> they got the fact checker. You know, they don't let you put nothing that's not real on there, which uh, everything I read is not real when I, you know, I'm like, okay, this is not, this is not right, right? Um, but, you know, our, our fact checker is the Holy Ghost of God and the Word of God. So that's what we should always go with. But, you know, skeptics say all kinds of things about it. That, you know, parts... They'll say that parts were added later to it to make it look like it was describing Jesus. You know, Christians, uh, they say Christians misinterpreted some things, particularly uh, one word in it. Uh, they say that Christians have uh, misinterpreted regarding the piercings of the hands. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, and they even say that the gospel writers fabricated their stories to match it. And you go, well, how do you, you know, how do we know that's not real, Brian? Well, you know, you can look at it and you can honestly look and say, okay, you can study all these claims, you can realize by honest deduction that we have in our Bible is correct and the honest truth. You know, some of the oldest copies of the Old Testament that we have now are actually older than when Jesus came. The Dead Sea Scrolls actually predate when Jesus came to earth. You know, and they have most of the Psalms in them. They have Isaiah, they have all that. You know, we have manuscripts that are as old as that too that contain the whole book of Psalms, especially Psalms 22. Um, and so we can actually read... Uh, we actually know that that's the scripture that we have was written before Jesus even came. Right. So, you know, that claim is false. There, you know, it was already here. We have manuscripts proving that, that it was actually written before. So that claim is just not a very well-funded one. You know, the, the other one is the uh, misinterpretation. And if you ever, you know, YouTube is a, it's, it's a fun place and it's a dangerous place. Man, because, you know, I, I, I was re, I was uh, been watching uh, some videos of some former Jewish people. Well, they're still Jewish. They're just, they believe in Jesus Christ now. And, you know, they just tell a lot what convinced them of it. And, you know, different scriptures, different things. But, you know, it, somehow it, I was going from that to, you know, why Psalms 22 is made up by the Christians. And I was like, okay, let me watch this guy to figure out what's going on here. You know, but that, the one thing, the one word they say that is misinterpreted uh, is... One word, and like I said, we'll get to it in a little bit. It's a uh, well, I'll get to it in a little bit. I'm gonna jump, but you know, it's it's over the word pierce, and the Bible it talks about in the Psalms here. It'll talk about piercing the hands, and um, you know, they'll say that it's actually the word lion. It's not pierce, and if you look up the Hebrew word for both of them, it's pretty close to spelling. You know, you can see how this letter may not have carried over, and somebody thought, well, maybe that's supposed to be this or that. But most of the older manuscripts I have actually has a word that we use that actually means pierce, that means to drill or to mine. It's actually in there in the older older manuscripts. So it's not like we made that up. So, you know, that's another one that you go, well, that's not really a proven um, discrepancy, so to say. You know, and then finally I think about the gospel writers. You know, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, if they had wrote a whole bunch of lies and they fabricated the story of Jesus, number one, the four gospels would not have went so good together that they complement each other. They're never contradicting. They actually complement each other. If you know, if you ask somebody, you know, what happened at church the other day? 
You know, you'll get 12 different stories. You know, and it may all have tr- truth in here, there, and there. You know, some, some folks may embellish a little bit, but, you know, hopefully we're in church. We don't embellish too much, right? But we, we would tell you, but it would be from my per- you know, my, my point of view. And then maybe Daniel has a different point of view. You know, but it would be describing the same story from different, I, and I tell the kid, the teenagers all the time, I, say, I love that the gospel writers didn't get together and just copy what each other said. I said, there's something different in all of them, and there's good to go in there and study each one of them. I like when there's one story in one gospel, I, I go read the other one to see if I can find it and see, you know, it, hey, it may give me more details into it. Like the, the, the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we have four different accounts in there that this fills us in and all this stuff. So, you know, Think about it, though. If these, if, if these people, these Jewish people, uh, these, uh, the Christians that became Christians and the Gentiles became Christians, if they had misinterpreted, they, if they had lied and made up stories that, that would just try to point somebody to, oh, Jesus fulfilled this, uh, there was a lot of eyewitness that would have easily discredited them. You know, they were, still, they were trying to hunt them down then. They were like, hey, look, I'm th- tired of you talking about Jesus. Remember, they were trying to kill them, and they were killing them. You know, we know Saul was one of the main ones that's like, I'm going to stomp out the name of Jesus. But, you know, if, if there was a, you know, they couldn't come up, even when they arrested, you know, disciples, the, the apostles, they couldn't say, you need to stop saying these lies. They said, you just need to stop telling people about Jesus. Because they couldn't say they were lying. They even said, these guys were not educated. These guys were not smart people that was like, oh, hey, we got a plan. We're going we're gonna to get everybody. We're going to create this great hoax and all this. They, they even the guys that was wrestling was like, these are uneducated. These are stupid people. These are just fishermen. All they know how to do is throw a net and mend it. You know, so how in the world could they made it up? And so that story, that, that, even that part of it is just, it, it, they don't carry no weight. And so today I just want to read out of Psalms 22 and look at what it says and see if you notice where it compares to Jesus. So Psalms 22, if you got your Bible, stand with me. We'll read. Um, I have 22 verses, but y'all can stand for a minute, right? I'll try to read a little faster. <laughs> Psalms 22. Uh, it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent, but thou art holy. O oh, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, thee, uh, they trusted, and thou del- didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despise the, the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted him. But In verse 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me. Hope when I was upon my mother's breast, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls from Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue cleaveth to, and to, uh, cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for the dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. 
I may tell all my bones. They look and, spare, and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. In verse 19, But be thou not far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, uh, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lions of my mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for this scripture. Lord, I thank you for this message, Lord, that you laid in my heart. Now let me, help me, Lord, to get it out as you want me to. Um, Lord, I pray that we'll hear it, that we'll understand it, that we'll, we'll cleave to the hopes that we have in this scripture and that we can share with others. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, thank you. I'll try to read fast so you don't have to stand too long. I know. You know, preachers make you stand up a while. That hurts. I feel you. I know. I'm, getting, I'm 38 now, so I, I feel it. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking, I was, I, I'm known as a person that brings something in the bag to do illustrations, but I just, man, I racked my brain, and I couldn't think of anything. So I don't have nothing in my bag, so I won't be looking for it. I know uh, Miss Barbara would be mad at me, but I, I couldn't think of anything. Um, you know, I was excited about the scripture, and I didn't think about an example, and I was trying to think last night and this morning, and my brain's like, nope, can't think of anything. But I was thinking of a story, um, you know, when I was in high school, uh, played a little football. Not very good, but I played. You know, it kept me out of some trouble at least, so I liked that. Um, but we were playing. My senior year was pretty good. Uh, actually, the first year that Mormon Jordan went to playoffs in 5A uh, playoffs was my senior year. The years before that, like I told the, uh, the teenager now that play football, and the hey, look, we, we did an area change and region change, all that. And my, uh, saw, uh, my freshman year, and it was rough. You know, we were getting beat pretty bad. It wasn't even, it wasn't pretty. Uh, so, but hey, we got used to it. After a few years, we got used to it. Well, I told them. But I, we were playing, uh, Ed, I said Etowah, yeah. That's right, Etowah County. And they had a guy that ended up playing in the NFL uh, named Carnell Williams or Cadillac Williams. Everybody knew him. And uh, we, we saw the video. He was good. You know, he was good. And I played offense, so I wasn't too worried. But he played defense, too. Was actually a really good defense guy. And uh, I, I can remember he scored a few touchdowns. And uh, we were down by like Probably three, four touchdowns out there. Craig was there. It was rough. Uh, this is the this is the worst halftime speech I've ever got in my life. And wasn't Craig? He was just there. He was the goofy guy. He, you know, I was, I call him Coach, but you know, he was the goofy guy basically. So uh, it wasn't him. It was uh, the head coach, and he he basically told us at halftime, "Well, good news, guys. This guy graduates this year." And we're all looking like. That's not good news. I graduate this year, too. It's not going to do me no good at halftime. You know, basically, he's like, hey, you know, what I'll deal with this guy next year. And, you know, I'd heard about how good he was. And, man, it's like, okay, we're going to start off the second half. We're going to kick off. We're gonna, he's, he looked at our kicker, and he said, you do not kick it anywhere near that. I think he was 24 then, too. Don't kick it nowhere near this guy. He said, I want you to kick it short. He's playing. Uh, he's going to be almost an end zone. You kick it real short. And he kicks it away from them, and the guy runs up, catches it, runs over four of our guys to him, play college football later on, ran right over them, and just scored a touchdown. It's like, I know what the word despair means because it was like, there's no way. There's no way we're going to win. This guy's devouring us up. He's wearing us out, right? Uh, the good news was he, he graduated, so the next year, we, you know, that team won the next year, and we didn't win our year. It was bad. But, you know, he was good. But, you know, I, I was like, okay. That was despair. That was like, man, you know, and our coach was declaring that the next year was going to be good, and the team next year was real good. 
But, you know, that didn't do me no good. I was graduating, you know. And I, I was like, I don't want to go watch. I want to play. But, you know, I was thinking, here in this scripture, it's kind of, you read it, it's like, it, it, I, you know, Psalms, it gets up and down, man. It's, you know, you know, you feel, a lot of them are written by David, not just David. This one is written about David. And a lot of it is about his life. And that's what I was telling teenagers is, you know, a lot of the Psalms, he, he probably was right, and the, the Holy Spirit was moving him to write, and some of it, probably, he probably did feel this way. Now, I can imagine when he's running away from Saul. You know, here, uh, King Saul, you know, David done nothing wrong. David did exactly what God told him to do. God, God calls David to be the king. You know, David goes, and he goes to the Israel camp to see the, you know, the battle, and uh, there, Goliath is there, and he's just dogging out God. He's just challenging God, basically. Challenging anybody that wants to fight him because he knew he was better than them and their God. And David, David got mad about it. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a, oh, mad. It was a, a righteous anger. And, you know, he stood, he stood up and he said, I'll do it. Nobody else is going to fight off at him. Right. And he fought and he, he killed him. And then, it, you know, Saul became jealous. And Saul wanted to kill David. And David did nothing wrong then. You know, and so I can imagine David feeling this way. It, when you read a lot of his Psalms, you can see the struggles. And maybe it was that part of his life. Maybe it was later on, you know, when he was in sin uh, and the weeping and the, uh, the praying and the sorrowfulness that he had, you know, after he was caught in the, in the, uh, in the murder and the uh, adultery. And God told him the child that he had that was going to die. And he was just, you know, he went into mourning. He wouldn't eat or anything. And I can imagine some of these come from that. But like I always said, the, the greatest thing about this is that God takes, takes this story and he, he adds stuff to it. And he adds little hidden things about the future. And I believe, honestly, when I've heard people give their testimonies, you know, you think it's all about them. And even if they're pointing to Jesus, you're like, well, that's their story. You know, but a lot of times you can look at it and say, hey, I can, I can relate to that. You know, not only that, but what you said actually makes it go even for, I know like for preachers, when we hear another preacher preaching, you know, we get some ideas. It's like, hey, Lord, let me write that down because, you know, and it's like one even what it was preached on because that's just the way it goes. But Psalms, man, it, is just a, it has these nuggets. Let me jump in real quick. The first point um, is going to be uh, despised. When you look at these first, we'll say five verses, it, it describes being despised. Now, David feels abandoned. He feels forsaken. He feels cut off. And, and I thought, when I used to read it, I was like, well, this is, this is kind of like a, a hopeless cry. You know, this is a cry, but it's not. It's actually a cry of faith. And there is a difference. If you, have, if you believe in God and you have, you have that hope in him, when you're crying out, when, it's, when it seems like all things are going bad, it, it's not a, it shouldn't be a cry of hopelessness. It's a cry of faith, like, God, I, I need help. I need you to show me, you to help me, to, you to do something. And that's not a cry of hopelessness. It never should be. When you're praying to God, that shouldn't, a lot of people feel like that's the last thing you can do. You know, all we can do is pray. And I'm like, that's some of the greatest things you can do is pray to God. It's a, it's a cry of faith in a way. You know, my God, I'm still believing and calling out unto you, even though this calling out, uh, through my roarings. You know, maybe David is describing his crying as uh, he states in Psalms uh, 32. Uh, he describes that it's in his very bones. And it was actually because of his sin that he's like, I, I, it's like, man, that, my sin still hurts me. 
Not just physically, but it hurts in here, Lord. It's, it's in my bones. It's absolutely, it, it's like it's roaring in here. And I believe that's what David is talking about here, too. You know, Matthew 27, verse uh, uh, 46, I don't have it up there, but you can, you can go home and read it. But basically, Jesus is on the cross. Um, and after a severe beating, a uh, mock trial, fake trial, uh, and then he's taken before another. He's taken before three different judges, basically. Um, he, is, he is beaten. He's, he's already been convicted. He has this judgment on him. He's carrying this cross up this hill. He's, he's being stripped. He's being nailed to a cross. Being, you know, in the passion of Christ, I was like, that stuff's all terrible to me. But when they lift him up, and you, you know, you could just imagine the, the, what it would have felt like to be on that cross and just to be lifted up and jarred down like that. And your body's screaming, and it, and it was made to hurt. It was made to be painful, you know. And then he's up there on this cross, and, and he can't go nowhere. He's nailed to it. He can't go anywhere. He's there to die. You know, you think, okay, well, surely they're done with him. No, it, it reads that they come and insult him even more. Yeah. They, they want to see the show. And not only do they want to see the show, they're going to sit there and make sure that he hears every bit of it. And so I can imagine, like I said, you know, he, he calls out one time, Father, forgive them. And I'm like, that would have been hard to do. Because these guys were spitting and, and making fun of them, challenging them. You know, if you're going to sigh, come down. Let's see them save itself, all this stuff. You know, but when you read this scripture that we read, Psalms 22, verse 1, Jesus quotes that on the cross. And used to, I just kind of went over it. I knew it was like reference to Psalms, but I never really thought about that scripture, you know, why would Jesus cry this out? Why would he cry out? Why was he calling out to God the Father? You know, was it, was it a cry of hopelessness? No, because Jesus knew what he was doing, number one. I mean, he told his disciples several times, I'm going, to, I'm going to be delivered up and I'm going to be crucified. And he always gave them hope, but in three days I'm coming back. I'm coming alive again. So he, he knew it was happening. So how in the world could he, how, how could he feel hopeless if he knew it was going to happen? And he told everybody, this is why I came. He even told Pilate, like, if, if my kingdom was of this world, wouldn't my servants fight you? Jesus like, couldn't I rouse them all up to come fight you? He's like, no, my kingdom's not of this world. And so it's not a, when Jesus is up there going, my God, my God, it's not a, oh, I, you know, this is hopeless. You know, God saved me. God helped me. It's not. There, there's something else to his cry here. And I believe that God the Holy Spirit gave David this Psalms 22 as a precursor to what Jesus is going through. And I feel like the more I read Psalms 22, the more I can look at it and say, man, Jesus went through all this. Not just the physical part of it, but he went through an emotional part that we don't even think about a lot of times. We, we concentrate on the physical part, which was bad, terrible, terrible. You want, I wouldn't want that on my worst enemies. But he went through an emotional time too. But here he's crying out. It's not a cry of hopelessness. You know, why, and it even says he cries out with a loud voice. Now, he, he, I'm telling you, he's been beaten. He, he's not far from death right here. You know, why would he cry out with a loud voice now? You know, why did you forsake me, God? Why wouldn't he do that? If he felt that way, why wouldn't he do it there when he's being beaten? But say He said not a word then. But as he's on the cross, he cries out with a loud voice. He didn't call out to God. He was calling out for the people to know that he was actually being talked about in Psalms 22. He's letting them know this is a confirmation that this scripture 
is what Jesus was going through. And he's letting them know because them Jewish people would have known right off what scripture he was talking about. You know, that, that's lost on us Gentiles. We don't really grow up studying the Old Testament a lot. But the Jewish people that was around, that's why they stuck around to keep insulting them because they knew he was quoting the Masonic Psalms to them and they, they didn't like it. They like, he's on the cross. We got him now. And he's, he's like, no, that, this is talking about me now. And if they could have just humbled their hearts and realized and read that scripture, they could have saw that it was talking about Jesus right there. But he's calling out. It's not a hopeless cry. He didn't cry out so that God could hear him. God heard everything he did. It was not a call out to God save me. It was a, it was a quote of the old scripture here so that they would know that, hey, this is being fulfilled. This scripture is being fulfilled. You know, I used to I read it, and I just went over that. You know, and get to the, the, you know, the blood and all that stuff, which is awesome. But, man, Jesus is like, you know what, I'm going to confirm something else to you. You think, you think you're done with me, Jewish people, but you're not. Because you know what, you're going to hear something else. You're not going to like it, but it's going to cut you to the heart. And that's exactly what it was. He was trying to point them. He's, that's why he was like, Father, forgive them. And then he's pointing them back to him like, hey, I am still that one. You could try to kill me, but that script, you're just fulfilling what the Scripture's already predicted. You know, think about the phrase in roaring here. And... Um, it says, from, my, from the words of my roaring in Psalms 22. You know, I never thought about it. Like I said, it wasn't, it describes how, uh, or I thought it describes how Jesus called out. Maybe, you know, even when I used to read it, I was like, well, Jesus was angry. He's probably like, why do I got to go through this, right? But, and then I read his words where he says he was going to go through this. And so I never thought about it like that. You know, I thought it just described how he called out. Maybe, you know, like he's angry. But if he is quoting this verse, then this whole chapter is actually describing uh, how God would declare his righteousness to all people. This is not an angry cry at all. You know, he had, like I said, he had strength before this. When he gets up here, he's almost dead. He ain't got a lot of strength left. For, so the words that he is able to get out at the cross are very important to us. You know, it was not, uh, you know, like I said, he could have angry or ejected when, they, when the first... Uh, the first whip was hit on his back. He could have said he could have called out to God and stopped it right there. This was not him calling out like God. You know, I've heard people say, "Well, he, when he got on the cross, it's like he messed up because he's like calling out to God to help him." And I'm, I, I used to go, "No, that's not right." Well, I never studied enough to realize what it actually meant, but that's not it. You know, the roaring here is describing what is going on on the inside, just like David. When David says it in Psalms, like I said, it kind of refers back to. Later on, Psalms 32, but it's talking about something else. It's not just talking about being mad on the outside. But you ever, ever been hurt, and it's not just on the outside, but it's on the inside. You know, a lot of times we think sorrow, right? That 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 hurts. It's and you know, I always like it's hard to try to make people feel better when they're just sorrowful for whatever reason. Because you know, hug them, you could be there for them, you could send them messages, all this stuff, but it's hard because you can't reach in there and say, is it hurt here? Let me make it better. You know, you can't do that. And I believe that's what it's talking about here, this roaring. It describes what's going on, on the inside. When we, we learned that Jesus took our sins. He took on our sins. He was sinless. He who was sinless took on our sins. That does not mean he was sin. It says he took on our sins. He felt no pleasure of our sins. Like we feel the pleasures of sin, but he felt only the punishment of our sins. And it wasn't just on the outside. It's on the inside. He is being absolutely beaten on the outside, beaten on the inside too. You know, notice these first five verses here. It seems like there's a conversation 
within this person. One time he's crying out to God, asking why he hasn't responded, and then the next time he's declaring he is holy and delivered, uh, that he has delivered our fathers. You know, a faithful cry is not, to, not despised by God. You know, a faithful cry, even though you're feeling that way, there's always, when you read Psalms, you'll read a lot of cries, a lot of cries for help, a lot of things going on. Not just David, but I know a lot of Davids are like this. You know, and it, but it always ends with him still praising God. So no matter what you're going through in life, as a Christian, as a believer, you ought to always, whenever you're crying out to God, remember how faithful he has been to you. And it's like no matter what happens, the day I, I, told, uh, I told my kids when I was like, what's the worst that can happen to you? You know, the world will tell you you die. That's the worst thing that can happen. I said, for a Christian, that's the best thing that can happen to me. You know, we ought not fear that. You know, I was like, hey, when I die, don't be crying for me. You cry because I'm not there to get, tell you jokes. But just remember, I'm happy. I'm, I'm saved, and I've entered into eternal rest with Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a, when you cry out for help, and you're like down at the lowest points, remember what God's done for you. You know, I think that's what God was trying to show David, because when you read Psalms, you'll see that a lot. David, he cries out, he cries for God to get vengeance, God to help him, to forgive him, and then he always talks about the faithfulness of God. And that's what he's trying to show us. The second, the second point I want to go over, we only got three points, so I'm moving kind of, I'm, I'm trying to move a little quicker. I got to do this again in a little bit, so I'm trying to, you, y'all are going to get the long version, they're probably going to get the shorter one, I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, it's, the second point, though, is delivered up and devoured devoured. Um, I never said I'm a good speaker, so y'all just have to stick with me, okay? Verse 6. This is, man, I taught this a few weeks ago, and I really, I think we stayed here like 820 at night. I was so excited. I'm like, man, you know, and even, uh, I had a few teenagers even jumping in like, oh, oh that actually means it. I was like, hey, don't get ahead of me. You know, this is mine. No, you go study yourself, right? But, you know, verse 6 here, it says, but I am a worm. And no man a reproach of men and despise the people. When I used to read that, I thought, well, that's just talking about David felt like he was just despised and he's just a good, a, a no, a, a, you know, no, nothing. He just no good, right? You know, if I called you a worm, you wouldn't take that as a compliment, I don't think. Right? You know, when I think of worms, the only good thing I can think of worms is they're good in your garden because they help the soil. And put that baby on a hook, right? You can catch just about any kind of fish you want, right? You throw, you catch bass, catfish, whatever you want. Amen. Put that—that's the only things I know worms good for. You know, birds like them. They're good food, I guess. That's why fish like them. I know birds like them. Uh, but when I heard when I if I called you a worm, you get mad at me. You may want to see me after church, right? I, I try not to call you worms here, but you know, to us it's just a description of being despised. But the Hebrew word here has a different meaning altogether. It has a more complete meaning here. And I never, and even for a Jewish person reading this, I don't know how they can read this and not see something else happening here. You know, the word that, the regular word that would mean worm, this regular worm in Hebrew is rima. However, that's not the word that's used here. You know, that word means, that word would mean worm or maggot. But this word is actually specifically means the crimson or scarlet worm. Crimson worm. Now, why in the world would David write that? Now, I, David went through a lot of troubles. We know that, right? But why in the world would he write a crimson worm? Now, these worms, um, 
especially in this time, they definitely know, even now, uh, they use these things, the crimson, they use it to for the crimson color, and, and the priests used it, you know, they had it in, in the curtains in the tabernacle and on some of the priest's clothes, things like that. They actually, so they would know what this meant, you know, but when you read it, it just says worm. I'm like, well, you know, they, they need to put like print seeds or something on there, you know, crimson worms. So that way we know there's a little more to it, but that just goes to studying, right? You got to study it out. But let me describe what this crimson worm is. You know, when the female uh, crimson worm is ready to lay eggs, which happens only once in her life, she climbs up on a tree or a fence, some wood, and attaches herself to it. With its bodies uh, attached to the wood, a hard crimson shell forms. A shell so hard and so secure to the wood that it can only be removed by tearing apart the body, which killed the worm. The female worm lays her eggs under her body under a protective shell. The larvae hatch, and they remain under this shell, this protective shell. The, the baby worms then will feed on the living body of the mother worm for three days. Now, I know that's kind of nasty. You know, it's, it's, it's before lunchtime here, so I don't, you know, don't want to be talking about that much of it. But it's important, no, three days, around three days. The mother worm then dies, and her body excretes a crimson or a scarlet dye that stains the wood to which she is attached and her baby worms. You know, you can actually watch videos of these, these people taking these worms and getting that, that scarlet, that crimson out. It's pretty cool um, if you like that kind of stuff. I don't know if you like that kind of stuff. You know, to me it was, I'm studying it. But, you know, the baby worms will remain crimson color for their entire life. On day four, the tail of the mother worm pulls up to her head, forming a heart-shaped uh, wax. Uh, looking like a patch of wool on a tree or a fence, it then begins to flake off and drop to the ground, looking like snow. You know, in Isaiah 1, verse 18, um, it says, yes, I know I put it up there. Don't look, at, don't look at the sound booth. I set this up, so I'm trying to think. I think I did it right. I did. It says here, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like, or they should be as wool. Man, you know, go to that next slide, brother. The, uh, this is what I thought about. When I, when I read this, I was thinking, through the bloodline of David, the Messiah will come. That's promised in the Old Testament. That's what they look for now, the Jewish people. But through the blood of Jesus, sinners are cleansed and welcome eternally home. And that's exactly what this shows, this scripture here. Think about this, this worm that's used in this scripture. I am a worm. This, now, you could say what you want about David. This ain't describing David. Nowhere do we read. Nobody is saved through the blood of David. Nobody is saved through the bloodline. The Messiah will come through the bloodline of David. But even then, David's blood couldn't save nobody. This ain't talking about David. This is pointing to some, that Messiah that's coming. Or as we know, he's already came. He's here, right? Think about it. Attaches to a tree or wood. Well, well, you know, Jesus was attached to a, a cross that's made out of a tree out of wood, right? Worm dies, it excretes a crimson or scarlet dye that stains the wood. And imagine what that cross looked like when Jesus was put on it. Imagine. I'm probably, it was red. It was crimson, right? Um, you know, and I like that the baby worms remain crimson color for the rest of their life. You know, think about when we have been saved by Jesus. That blood of his covers all our sins, right? And then, not only that, he turns, it says he goes from crimson to white as wool. 
And that represents, that shows us too, that, that, that uh, righteousness that we will inherit one day through Jesus Christ. So I thought, man, that's awesome. God put that in there. That, God put that in there, and, you know, that's, that part's not disputed, by the way. That, that is the word. That's all the manuscripts has that word in there. So it's not something that Christians made up. That was in the Old Testament, you know, and that, that just, like I said, man, that point, if that points to Jesus, I don't know what else you're looking at. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm a worm. You know, you think, well, he, he was despised, and he was a reproach to them. They hated him, but for those that would believe in him, they would become joint heirs unto, unto heaven with him. Amen. He has saved us. You know, was Jesus despised and devoured? Let me read you a few verses here. Go to uh, Matthew 26, verse uh, 59 through 68. It reads, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. Of course, a lot of people love to lie. They love to get a spotlight. That's what a lot of Facebook is. You know, they get a spotlight of, you know, this happened, this happened. And most times it's false. And verse 61, I'm sorry, verse, um, yeah, 61. Or at the end of 60, sorry. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? Talking to Jesus. What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be Christ, the Son of God. You know, it says Jesus was silent to this point. And Jesus answered and said to him, Thou hast saith. He couldn't deny that. Man, do you imagine? He couldn't. I think if he didn't say that, the whole world would just just made a noise. This is the living God here. You have the living God right here. But Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Man, they, they were mad then. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now... Uh, you have heard this blasphemy. What thank you? And they answered and said, He's guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? So they, they, they try to bring people up that lie about him. They can't lie about him. They finally just ask him point blank, Are you, are you him? Are you the Messiah? Are you the living God? And he, and he can't deny it because he is. And so then they're mad, and they judge him, and they beat him, and they mock him. And this is before they ever take him to Pilate, right? Well, so that one, you can see here that the, the Jewish leaders despised him. And then verse twenty uh, Matthew 27, 27 says, you can see here the soldiers are going to now mock him. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they got a crowd. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. Scarlet word. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put on his own raiment and led him away to crucify him. So here you can see the Jewish, or not the Jew, the Jewish priests mocked him at the beginning. All of them it was with them. And then they take him to Pilate, and they, Pilate has him beaten. And then the beating's not enough. They then take Jesus and mock him. 
Now, these soldiers had nothing to do with Jesus, really. I mean, they may have heard them, but they, they didn't really care until the Jewish people brought them there, but they decided to join in on it too. But then next, uh, you can see here the crowd in Matthew 27, 39, the crowd and the thieves even mock him. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, they even came back for another round, mocking him with the scribes and the elders. They brought their little groupies too, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him uh, now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. So you can see here, he was despised. He was despised of this. I had about seven or eight more scriptures, but I was trying to say some time, so I only got these few. But you can see here, he is despised. Them last few days, man, everybody went from uh, either liking Jesus or at least wanting to hear what he had to say or to see what he's going to do next. In two days, it swapped over real quick. All of a sudden, like this, everybody hates him. Everybody wants him to die. You know, I used to think when the uh, when Pilate had the um, the plaque put on top of the cross that he was like saying, you know, this is you know, the king of the Jews or whatever. You know, I used to think, well, maybe he was, you know, he felt that way. But no, if you read it, if you read what, what how Pilate really treated him, he was mocking him too. He was just mocking Jesus too. You know, he knew he was an innocent man, yet he sent him to be crucified. That's just a mocking, just the same, right? And so you can see here he was despised by so many. David had David definitely was despised in his day by some, but David didn't experience this. I promise you that. That, that, was, that goes into it. You know, surrounded next up uh, in this point, the surrounded, uh, verse 11 through 13, describes an almost hopeless feeling. It describes great power surrounding its prey. Um, like a pack of lions, when they attack and they focus on that one prey. You ever, and I used to watch the uh, animals. I don't even know what's on now, but I used to watch the animal planet and watch, you know, you could see these lions. And there's a whole herd of, of whatever kind of animals, gazelles or antelopes, whatever it is. Wilderbeast sometimes. But, you know, they, there's a whole bunch of them out there. And lions, you can see them creeping, man, they, them things creeping up. They're in that tall grass, and you're like, oh, what are they, they going to do? And it's like they all focus on one. They look, normally look for the, the weaker one if, they, if there is one there. But they'll focus on one. They, they will run right past three others, and they know which one they're going for. And, and not only that, when they're in a pack, the other ones are coming too. And they're coming from the other way trying to surround them. And, you know, it's scary to think about. If you're that prey, it's scary, right? But that's what I think this scripture is talking about. That It's being that it's surrounded like that. that you know, it talks about these bulls. And this area is like the, at the time, was like the fertile place that like, you know, had the best farmland, so they had the best animals, the biggest, the strongest. So that's what it's talking about here. And feel surrounded. Now, so, and I think of Jesus on that cross, being watched, being mocked, being cursed, being convicted, being destroyed. He was not able to run away from it. He, he couldn't turn his back to him. He couldn't, I mean, he could close his eyes, but he, he can't close his ears. He's hearing every word. He's, he's totally been surrounded by it. You know, and I think about, you know, he's not able to run away. He didn't fight back according to God's will and Jesus' determination to follow God's will. But then, you know, the next thing is he's poured out. This one, I mean, I could preach all day on this one, but I'll try to go through it quickly. You know, this first 14, it describes uh, an extreme time. This is like nothing we've read about David. 
like I said, he had some tough times. Now, we know, we know there are several tough times. But this scripture here, man, it, it describes something. You know, it says, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. That, that describes a terrible sorrow, a terrible emotional draining, incredibly terrible time. Poured out describes being physically drained and loss of all strength. Bones out of joint. You know, I read this scripture, and I'm like, okay. You know, I, I, I've been sore enough, you know, where I felt like my bones were out of joint. But, you know, I think this scripture here, when you read it, and you read about the stress that the crucifixion causes, what happens most of the time is that the bones popped out of them shoulders when they were stretching them arms on there to nail them down. Even if they didn't when they first did it, when they're up on the cross, and you can't use your legs because they're nailed down too. You can imagine the bones being, the, just a strain on the bones and the muscles and all that. You know, and I'm like, man, I just look at it and go, that, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That, Jesus is feeling this right here. Why else would he quoted this, this scripture if he wasn't going through the same thing here? But, you know, you know like I say, you could, you could research the stress of the crucifixion. And I know for sure a lot of times they stretch, them bones will pop out of the socket, them, especially them arms and shoulders. So, and then the final point, though, Jesus went through all this terrible stuff. And I didn't get really into it. I could go even more into it. But he went through all this terrible physical and emotional stuff. But the last thing is he's declared in this scripture. This same scripture, he's declared. You know, remember on the cross, even when he cries out, he, he thirsts. And I always thought that was weird. Like of all these great sayings that they wrote about Jesus, they put he thirsts. You know, he called out, I thirst, I'm thirsty. And I was like, why? You know, why did they do that? Why, why would they, you know, why was it so important that the Holy Spirit led them to write that down? You know, like if I was making up, if I was trying to make up a story, I, I, don't, I think I would have skipped that one, right? I don't think that would have been important. But these, they weren't. These gospel writers are writing down exactly what the Spirit of God was telling them to. And that's why I also believe they're witness too. You know, it's weird that they included that after all these other great cries that we hear on the cross. But, you know, if we take what God shows us previously about sin and the punishment for sin... We know that they had to take this perfect animal, spotless animal, and they had to kill it, burn it. They sprinkled the blood on the altar. You know, God is putting the punishment of, our, of sins, our sins, on Jesus on the cross, and he is being punished on the inside and the outside. Like I said, he's going through a physical um, beating that we nobody here has ever understand. And I know I've read a lot of people say, well, that's not the worst way to die. But for an innocent person that had done nothing wrong in his life, that is a terrible way to die. That was awful. You know, all of us have done something in our life that we deserve a little punishment or more punishment or whatever. But Jesus did nothing wrong, you know. But if you read, you know, God is not just putting it on the outside. He, he is punishing. He is pouring out his wrath on sin. And it shows us how, how serious sin is. And that's why we should not continue in sin if we've been saved again. Because God shows us how serious it is. And if we think about what Jesus went through on that cross, it, it should make us at least pause and think about sin, right? That we shouldn't do it. God is He's putting the punishment of all our sins on Jesus. For us, this is not a cry of anger. You know, like I said at the beginning, it wasn't a cry of anger. It wasn't a cry of hopelessness. You know, Jesus was trying to confirm who he was through his scripture. He's pointing them Jewish people back to Psalms 22. 
and they could see that he is poured out like that he is poured out like water. He is he is disturbed every which way, and he's doing it for them. He's doing it for us too, right? You know, and I think of Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one, and I'm I'm going to finish with this, Brandon. So come on up, buddy. Um, I didn't preach. I may not preach long enough. Well, I'll, I'll get a text later and let me know. But I hope you understand it because Psalms 22, man, go home and dig in it. Ah, if you just ain't got nothing to do, even if you got something to do, just you know, dig into Psalms, put it on your phone. But Second Corinthians 5:22, for He, God, made Him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You know, this scripture was written after Jesus died. But God showed us, God showed us this was going to happen in the Old Testament. And God even gives us a little glimpse, just a little glimpse. I don't think we'll fully ever understand the full, the full punishment that Jesus went through on that cross because he took it for us, so we didn't have to. But he gives us a glimpse of what he's really going through. And it wasn't just a physical part, y'all. Even, you can read later on in uh, verse 18 there, I didn't even go over it, but it says they parted my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. And that didn't, we, that's not recorded by David. But guess who it was recorded by? Jesus at the cross, right? The soldiers took his, took his clothes and said, hey, don't tear that. And they were kind of ripping and, and just sharing. And they was like, don't tear that piece up. Let's, let's cast lots for it. And I'm like, man, that, ain't, that, ain't that awesome? That's just a coincidence. I know that's not, right? Right, it's not because verse sixteen it says, "For the dogs that can pass me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet." And and that first part I could really preach. I'm not gonna preach on it, but that last part there, that's 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 that one word that that is uh, disputed, but it's proven. It's proven. You could trust the word of God. You know, nobody can try to change the word of God. It's there. It's recorded, and so we know. This points to Jesus Christ, you know. So let me do. Let me declare this. If y'all will stand with me, we'll be just we'll uh, we'll pray. I'll open the altar for you. But let us declare it. You know, this scripture shows us that D- Jesus is despised; he's devoured. But he, this happened only so that he can be declared. He could be declared to the Jewish people. He can be declared to the Gentiles, that he is this promised Messiah, this Savior, this Son of the living God, that he has come to save us. He who knew no sin took the full punishment of sin for us. They who believe in their hearts that he is Lord and declare it with their lives, not just words, it's got to be your life. That's where a lot of people get mixed up nowadays. They think just because they said a prayer, they live how they want to, they're good. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that if you declare it in your heart and in your actions, not just your words, you will be saved. And not only are you saved, you ought to be happy and want to share it with other people. So let us pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, 